and faithful high priest, that he is the embodiment of these two qualities, mercy and faithfulness. Are you convinced of the truth of these things? Then you can be saved, and you can participate in this cup and bread. But if you say, ah, no, all of this is just, is just a figment, then you can have no part in remembering, remembering a merciful and a faithful high priest. We need to read the Gospels to rediscover this compassion that was in the Lord Jesus. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gollerher. Thank you for joining with us as we bring the message of God's Word today. And again, we're doing two things here. First of all, we have our message on the right time to be saved. And that is today. There is no better time for you to be saved, to be right with God, than this day, because this is the day the Lord hath given. And you should take every advantage to call on the Lord to be your Savior, even right now. And so stay tuned as we come to that message uh, here on our program. We're also having a segment on gambling. The gambler is the atheist. He has denied that God is in control. He puts his trust in chance rather than in God's grace. I cannot imagine a gambler going into the casino having had an hour of prayer for God to bless his gambling. A rule of thumb for the Christian is if you can't pray for God's blessing upon it, then it's not the thing you ought to do. It's the thing that you should flee from. So stay tuned with us as we come to our messages today from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. If the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, is to be our high priest and represent us effectively, if he is to do his work, he must in all points, in all things, be made like unto us. And while this is a communion sermon I'm preaching, it could well be a Christmas sermon, because it begins with the incarnation. It begins with that conception in Mary's womb, the miracle of the conception of the human nature of our Lord Jesus in the womb of Mary, which in the fullness of time brought forth Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, the fusing of, of deity with humanity, and equipping our Lord Jesus to be, in time, our high priest. You see, without a body, though exalted in heaven, Christ could not be our Jesus. He could not be our Savior. There could be no nearness, no assimilation to his people. And without a body, he may decree and he may design, but he could not fulfill the work of a faithful, merciful high priest. And so he needed a body. He needed a body. Now, this comes very close to the communion table today because when you take that bread, you're remembering the body of Christ. I intended to say this later, but I think it fits right here. The symbol has to have a reality to it. We are taking bread, and it's not human flesh. We don't think that for a moment. But the symbol 
symbolizes reality. If our Lord Jesus had not taken a human body, the bread would be meaningless. If our Lord Jesus had not died in a human body and shed real blood, taking this cup would be absolutely meaningless. And so, as the writer says, it behoved him. It was obligatory. It was essential that he take upon himself a human nature. To fulfill these two qualities, to be merciful and faithful, to do the work of a high priest. Now, the mercy part, the compassion of our Lord Jesus, is unquestionable. If you'd been in our prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, we were looking at how the Lord Jesus treated the leper. And we are told when the leper requested, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion. What a display of this merciful high priest you have in that dealing with the leper the one who had hit the lowest rung of the ladder, the lowest scale in the human race, a leper, but Jesus even touched him. And what a display of, of what we learn here in Hebrews. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He, he can be touched because he touched us, because he came to live amongst us, as one of us, enduring all the sufferings—we'll get to that a little later—the sufferings. And in all whom Jesus dealt with, whether it was the, the blind beggars, whether it was the, the lame, the infirm, the widow, the widow of Nain, he had compassion upon her. And as he met that buyer, that coffin, raised her son to life because he had compassion on her. And then there's another example, and it doesn't exactly have the word compassion in the context or in the storyline, but it displays it better than any other I can think of, and that was the dying thief on the cross. There is that criminal with words of blasphemy, fuming his rage against the Savior from the very cross. And in the instant when God in mercy gave to that man a change of mind, repentance. And he said, Lord, remember me. Without a bat of the eye, without a blink, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was a display of compassion, mercy, that I don't think human nature can do alone. But in our Lord, there was this amazing display of mercy. When we come to this communion table, we are remembering not just the name of Jesus that is a royal name, a beautiful name, but we're remembering the, the priestly work, the merciful nature, and how he has dealt with us mercifully. We are coming to thank him for the mercies that come to us through just him being our high priest, merciful and faithful. I've had another late thought on this, 
but I think it's the best I can, I can I've read of. I've, I've studied this up and down, but there is something that has come to me that, that makes this so living, precious, and personal. And that is when Paul the apostle was persecuting the Christians. You read of this in Acts 9, 4. When, when the Lord revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, you remember he shone that bright light on Paul and said, Paul! No, he said, Saul! Saul! Why persecutest thou me? And there we learn that such is the union between Christ and his people. Such is the compassion, this merciful nature that is in the Lord Jesus, that when Christians hurt, our Lord hurts. When Christians are despised and offended and carry the cross— the Lord Jesus feels the pain. He's so identified with us that he enters into our sufferings. The analogy of the organic relationship between the parts of the body and the head is the perfect example here. Christ is the head, we are the church. Now, when you have pain in, in any part of your body— your brain receives the signals and feels the pain. doesn't matter where that pain is. doesn't matter if it's an internal organ or if it's an exterior extremity. It doesn't matter what part of the body. It could be something on the surface of the skin. It could be something in the deepest part of our inner being. But when that is malfunctioning and causing pain, the head feels it. That's the relationship between Christ and his people. He's the head. We are the body. And when we suffer, Christ enters into that suffering. And he is able to come alongside to succor us. Look at verse 18, and I keep saying this is the application of the, the truths leading up to it. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted— he is able to succor them that are tempted. So let me ask you, did the Lord Jesus reach the goal of his incarnation? Did he fulfill all the requirement that he might be our perfect, sympathizing, compassionate, merciful, and faithful high priest? If you're a Christian and you know anything about the love of Christ, you're going to answer a big yes, an absolute yes. And it's in that sense I want you to take that cup today. It's in that sense I want you to take that bread today. My Lord Jesus ministers to me. He not only is my Lord on a card or my name written in heaven. He is not only mine by identity, but in my heart, in my soul, in my needs. Jesus ministers to me. And we know that he delights to come alongside as an, at an hour like this. Now, there's one other big thing here in this verse 17. First is the goal of the incarnation. Then there is the reason for his sufferings. That in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. That's the goal of the incarnation. That he might be a merciful high and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. 
for in that he himself hath suffered, suffered. Why did he have to die? By the way, the word reconciliation there is the word propitiation. You'll see that in the margin, and it means his sacrifice. You're really looking at the cross. You're looking at those three hours when Jesus died in darkness, forsaken of God the Father, that he entered into those sufferings. It was necessary. Now, what sufferings are we talking about? There are those general human sufferings. Loneliness, Christ entered into that. He was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was treated as a root out of a dry ground, despised and rejected. The Lord Jesus knew sadness. He understands sadness. And when we go through sadness, Christ endured that. Bereavement, Jesus endured that. There must have been a sad day at the loss of his earthly father, not his true blood father, but his earthly father. Deprivation, hunger, weariness, sleeplessness, to be slandered, to be hated, to be despised. There's a text that says he took our infirmities. He took our sicknesses upon him. Now, we have to be careful in understanding that because it doesn't mean that if you become a Christian, you'll never be sick. It doesn't mean that if you are redeemed by the blood that you'll never have a cold or a, a flu or an infirmity in the body. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that Jesus entered into every infirmity of human nature, that he might be equipped to be a merciful and faithful high priest. Then we get to the cross. I preach the cross every week, don't I? I preach the sufferings of Jesus all the time. And we think of our Lord right on that cross. But the question is, was it enough? Did he suffer enough? To be a merciful and faithful high priest, the blood that he is presenting must be enough. It must be efficacious blood. It must be powerful blood. It must cover the mercy seat. It must be what satisfies the wrath of his Father. It must be such a propitiation, and propitiation means to turn away the wrath of a holy one, the holy one. And was it enough? Were the sufferings of our Lord Jesus enough to turn him into an adequate, merciful and faithful high priest. Our answer to that, of course, is it was enough. When he cried out, it is finished. It is totally done. We are not here today to glory in our sufferings or to present them as some merit to God, but we are here today to glory in the finished suffering work of our Redeemer. And so when we take the bread and we take the cup, it is not 
an extension of his sufferings. It is not to try and repeat his sufferings. It is not to try and say, well, let my little contribution be added to it. No, it is to glory in the work that's done, in the redemption that is already complete. And then we come to this amazing work of reconciliation that comes out in the benefits here. And it demonstrates Jesus' compassion. He can reconcile. He can bring together God and sinful man. And he was moved to action to do that for us. And he does so every hour, every day that he appears with his own blood in the work of reconciliation. And in this we are strengthened, and in this we are succored and helped. I read a very, what will I say, simple story in a message by Mr. Spurgeon, and he told of a merchant who was hired by a company and put into the counting house. And of course, in those days when they dealt in bundles of cash, his task was to count the money morning to night. In his family, he ran into very hard times. He saw the sufferings of his wife and his children, burdened by all of he was dealing with. And of course, the temptation came to do what others were doing in the company, stealing money. It was so easy. And he was continually tempted to sin against God. He went home one day with this powerful temptation at work in his heart, and he ran into a secret place where he could get alone with God and pray. And while he was in that closet in prayer, he had, not with his natural eyes, but with the eyes of faith, this view of Christ showing him his hands, the nail prints in his hands. And he saw the wounds, and he saw the suffering of the Lord Jesus. And that was the cure. And he came to the conclusion, I will not do it. I can be poor, but I cannot sin. And it was the power of that view of the wounds of Christ that cured him from that powerful temptation. It also cured the Apostle Thomas. Remember all the questions and doubts that he had? And when the Lord showed him the nail prints in his hands and asked him to put his hand into the riven side, Thomas confessed, Lord my God. You see, none of that would be possible without a real body. It behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. It behoved him to suffer in that body. And as we take this communion cup today, what we're doing is simply rejoicing in the wounds, the sufferings, the victories of the Lord Jesus for us. What a great, wonderful application of the cross work of the Lord Jesus.
And so as you take the bread and cup, the question is, do you agree that Jesus is indeed a merciful, compassionate, and faithful high priest, that he is the embodiment of these two qualities, mercy and faithfulness? Are you convinced of the truth of these things? Then you can be saved, and you can participate in this cup and bread. But if you say, ah, no, all of this is just, is just a figment, then you can have no part in remembering, remembering a merciful and a faithful high priest. We need to read the Gospels to rediscover this compassion that was in the Lord Jesus. The leper, the people who were without a shepherd, and Jesus was moved with compassion when he wept over Jerusalem because of the judgment that was soon to come upon that city and people. Oh, this is the heart of the Christ whom we worship and whom we preach. And he is a living and a loving Savior. Do not harden your heart. Do not turn away from the one who left heaven's glory, took your nature, and died for you shed his blood for you. And now, in this office of high priest, perfectly equipped with a human body, perfectly empowered with his own blood, representing every one of his people, that's the view. That's the glimpse that we need as we look to Christ here today. And I trust that as we do take this cup and bread, that we will sense in our souls the reality, the experience, the blessedness that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. I'm coming now to the segment on righteousness Exalt of the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And today we're going to look at the vice of gambling. William Secker listed one of the seven deadly sins as avarice, which by definition means the insatiable desire to get riches. One of the daughters of avarice, which the old writers used to mention, was gambling. And the need has not gone by for indicating the true place to which this vice belongs. The desire to make money is undoubtedly at the bottom of the practice. To make money in haste without giving any equivalent for it, and this is its condemnation, but after it has grown into a habit, it becomes a very complex thing. The gambler can hardly tell why he follows with such eagerness the events of the green turf and the fortunes of the green table, there is a fever in his blood which drives him on, rendering ordinary pursuits and ordinary gains steel and making his own heart reckless and hardened. A single act of gambling has an innocent look. The first steps in a gambling career are frequently exhilarating. But the atmosphere soon becomes grimy. The associations and companionships into which it leads are demoralizing, and many a time it ends in the dock and the jail. Gambling is a big problem in Canada. The reason is that provincial governments are the real addicts. 
the Ontario provincial government itself raked in more than a billion dollars last year from gambling. To do so, it has done everything it can to grow gambling, including licensing more casinos, allowing ATMs and unrestricted hours of operation in them, and increasing the number of video lottery terminals by five times. The result? The number of gamblers has soared. The Wellesley Institute of Ontario reported in 2013 that gambling is common in Ontario. The Canadian Community Health Survey shows that 66% of Ontarians have gambled within the last 12 months, and 85% of Canadians have gambled at some time in their lifetime. For most people, gambling does not significantly affect their lives and their well-being. Social, financial, and health problems arise, however, for problem gamblers. Problem gambling is often not well-defined in debates about gambling. This can lead to the assumption that unless the gambling is compulsive, it is healthy, responsible, and low-risk. Leading researchers have defined low-risk gambling as gambling no more than two to three times per month, spending less than a total of $500 to $1,000 per year, or gambling less than 1% of a gross family income. People who exceed one or more of these criteria can be described as problem gamblers. The Canadian Public Health Association defines problem gambling as a progressive disorder characterized by a continuous or periodic loss of control over gambling, b. preoccupation with gambling and money with which to gamble, c. irrational thinking, and d. continuation of the activity despite adverse consequences. In other words, you keep losing and yet you still keep playing. Now, the answer to the problem is to seek the true riches which are in Christ. The wonderful thing is that the insatiable greed of man is answered in the hope that comes through a living faith in Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ and have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Him. The poorest Christian is richer than the wealthiest oil sheik or the king of the vastest earthly kingdom. The Holy Spirit becomes our joy of heart, he ministers to us the fullness of contentment and satisfaction of which money is only a mocker. It's better to have a gospel-preaching church in the city than a gambling casino. It's better to have Christians living in the hope of Christ than gamblers robbing the vulnerable like vultures, damning their own souls in doing it. Judas warns us all to, of the true outcome of gambling— he traded 30 pieces of silver for his own soul. Let us be warned today not to enter into the gambling casino or any other form of gambling, but to put our trust in the Savior in whom there is no risk, but rather in whom is eternal life, abundant life. That's the confidence of the Christian. 
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. here on this station as we let the Bible speak.